A few weeks ago, HLL, he's been talking about the celebration of discipline. And that's, I'm not going to do one of the disciplines today, not, not really. But he talked about simplicity, and he said that one of his points was God being your one thing. And he kind of stole that from me, but not, not really. But I, um, it is a central idea in Christianity, God being your one thing. So I already know the answer for you guys. You don't have to figure out what's the one thing I'm going to tell you today, what your one thing, <laughs> what your one thing should be. And for months, you know, H told me six months ago I was going to talk. I felt like this is what God wanted me to talk about. And it's really, you know, it's, to me, it's, a, it's kind of a basic topic that a lot of you have probably heard before and you know, you know, people say put God first in your life or you got to be on fire for God or, you know, whatever that means. But I just really felt like that it's what God wanted me to talk about. So I think that means hopefully it's something that you guys need to hear. And it's something that we need to hear over and over, even if you've heard it before. Um, I think it needs to be repeated again and again. It's something we can never hear enough. And, you know, a lot of times we compartmentalize um, Christianity. We have our Sunday morning, and then we have our work, and then we have our family time, and we have our, you know, our exercise or whatever we do. And, but God wants to be involved in all of that. It, what this should look like is one big bowl that's God with a bunch of little bowls inside of it. I think that's, that's what God would prefer. But most of the time we keep, he's, in one, he's one thing, and then we've got the rest of stuff. Religion's here, and then we've got everything else. And the way it should be, the way we're designed to be, is God is all of that. God encompasses our whole lives, not just one, one little section. And we can't just sit back and wait for that to happen. It's not just going to happen. It's not just going to, oh, all of a sudden, God is my everything. You have to seek that. You have to go after that. And over and over, that is a central theme in the Bible. If you've read the Bible, especially the New Testament, God says over and over, seek me, look for me, go after me. And there's a story, Mary and Martha, in the Bible. You can see the guy in red there with the halo, I think, is Jesus. And then you've got Mary sitting at his feet with the big book, and Martha, who's got a goose in her hand. And... <laughs> So the scripture says, it says, as, Je as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while, I'll do all while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. The Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. And probably got a lot of Marthas in the house. I'm a Martha. I don't deny it. I, like to, I, like, I, I would be the one, i got to make food for Jesus instead of just sitting and listening to God. You know, he's in my house. But I would, I'm definitely more on the Martha side. Um, but that he, Jesus says one thing is needed, and she has chosen the best thing. And a few other verses that illustrate this. Um, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And in the last one, you will seek me and find me, and you seek me with all of your heart. So all first, these are words used to show that God wants all of us. He wants to be number one. He doesn't want to be number two or five, or ten. He wants to be the top, the top priority in our lives. So, you know, you might be here, 
and be like, I've never even, I don't even have a relationship with God. And that's fine. I don't want you to think, you know, to feel pressure or anything. I'm just going to tell you what I've experienced and my opinion. And even if, you know, you don't know God and you're not, you don't consider yourself a Christian or even a spiritual person, just, you know, just sit back and hopefully you'll learn something and maybe by the end you'll consider it a little more than you do now. So why? Why, why God? Why should I put God first in my life? So I'm going to tell you some things that um, hopefully will motivate you and make you want more of God in your life. And the first one is that God is your biggest fan. Um, he loves you more than anybody else could ever love you. You know, I have two kids, seven and a year, year and a half, and another one on the way. And I love to watch my kids. I'll just sit and watch them, watch, you know, my little girl, just the expressions on her face, my son when he's eating breakfast, the way he thinks and the way he's, you know, just watching his mind work. And most people, you know, good parents, they do, they like to watch their kids. Their kids, you know, they think everything they do is funny and cute and other people are like, okay, but when it's your kid, it's, they are just the apple of your eye. And that's what we are to God. And I think, you know, I like... Um, Little House on the Prairie. I've been reading the books. I've watched it a lot. When I was a kid, I watched it growing up. And now I've been reading the books, and the books are even better. But I watched Reverend Alden, if you guys have ever watched Little House on the Prairie. He's the, the preacher that's usually in most of the episodes. And I, was, I hadn't watched it since I was a kid, and I bought some of the DVDs. And I just couldn't believe the stuff he said when he was preaching. And I was like, no wonder this church only has 10 people in it. I mean, <laughs> good grief. He's like, you sinners. I mean, if you, he, I mean, I like Reverend Alden. He seems like a nice man. You know, I'm not, nothing against him. But whoever wrote the script has a different view of God. Or maybe during that time period, that was accurate. That's what a preacher would have said. But I think this idea that God is out to get people, that he punishes you when you do wrong, that he you know, put, gives you tests all the time, and that he, uh, that just that he does, he's not who he really is. It's not accurate. If you read the New Testament, Jesus, the way Jesus treated people is God. That's how God loves people. That's how God wants to treat people. And it's not this idea of him looking, looking for you, waiting for you to make a mistake, and as soon as you do, boy, he's going to squish you to the ground. You're going to pay. You're going to pay when you make a mistake. That is not God. When my kids mess up, when they make a mistake, do I just look forward to punishing them? No. I still love them. And I think, well, it wasn't that bad. I mean, <laughs> so a lot of times that's what I think when they misbehave. Not always. But that's, that's how God is. He, he's just ready. When we mess up, he's just, just, it's okay. He wants us just to ask for forgiveness and come back, and he still loves us just the same. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or God love you less because he's a good dad. That song that we just sang, he's a good, good father, that is very, very true. And if you haven't had a good father in your life, it might be hard for you to relate to that. Thankfully, I had a great dad, as good as it gets. And so this concept has never been, you know, it's something I still meditate on, but it's never been that hard for me to understand that God loves me because my dad loved me the way that I should have been loved, unconditionally. And God loves you the same way, unconditionally. Um, the other day we had a the nightlight service. There's only a few people there. I encourage more of you guys to go to the nightlight service. 
but it's, it's a Friday night, we've only had two of them, and it's just a time when we have music, and you can pray, you know, it's just kind of relaxed time when we have a, more music than we have here. And I was with the kids the whole time, and at the end, H said, do you want to go in there? And, because uh, I was in the back in the nursery, and it was at a, a different church, because we can't do it here on Friday nights, obviously. So I went in, and they were singing the song, He's a Good, Good Father, and I just started crying. I mean, I don't. I, I could just. I just knew that God was there and that God was with me, and I felt like His hand was just on my head, and I just. I just felt His goodness and pure love. Just, He's a good, good Father. He's a good, good Father. And you may have never felt that, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you, but it's the truth. He is a good, good Father, and you can trust Him. Which the next point um, is about God being our foundation. One reason that you should make him more than what he is maybe right now in your life is because he needs to be the thing that you depend on more than anything else because everything else will eventually let you down. Um, I think that this picture I wanted to illustrate self-reflection, that it's important to think about um, what you do depend on. Why do you think what you think? Why do you believe what you believe? Where do your ideas come from? And a lot of times we just don't think about that. You know, we, what we see is based on a very small, our small little world. That's what it's based on. You know, this whole thing I read on Facebook about the refugees, let them in, don't let them in, you know. And if I think, you know, I, I don't have a strong opinion, I'm not going to get into that. But if you were a 12-year-old boy from Syria, your viewpoint would be completely different than anyone in this room. If you had fought in Desert Storm, if you were best friends with the Muslim, if you lived in South Africa, I mean, your viewpoint is based only on the little things that you've experienced so far in this life, what your family told you, or what you learned in college. You know, you, you really don't know as much as you think you know. And I think it's good to question yourself. What, what am I basing all of this on? What am I depending, my, what am I depending on? And whenever I moved, um, when I moved to college, I moved... I went to Murray State from Southern Illinois, just two hours away from my family. I was 19, um, but I, that was a kind of a time in my life when I was like, it was like a wake-up call. It was like, okay, I'm not with my family anymore. I'm on my own. And I went through a lot, like a, several months of really bad homesickness, became depressed. I talked about that the last time I spoke, last December. You can watch the video if you want. But I, I, I basically, it was like, I was being torn away from everything I believed, you know, everything I knew, and I was in this new place, and it was like, who am I, and what am I doing here? And I think that, you know, that homesickness, it just made me start to think, why, why am I a Christian, you know? And I started realizing that a lot of my opinions, the way I act, the way I talk, was the way my family acted and talked, 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 the way my friends in high school acted and talked. And I remember my family kind of, one side of my family especially, they're very, uh, what's the word? Um, they tell it like it is. No problem. I mean, what are you thinking? You know, they just say stuff like that all the time. There's no cushiness. And, and uh, so when I moved to college, our H would say things like, do you always talk to people like that? You know, <laughs> what's the problem? I never thought about it before. But then I, it took a while and I started realizing Oh, maybe that's not the best way to treat people, you know. And I, don't get me wrong, I love my family. But, you know, 
it's getting away from home, and some of you may have never been away from home, or maybe you have, but it's still good to think about why do I act like I act? You know, what do I depend on? Who do you go to, or what do you go to when you need something, or when you, when you, when you have like a crisis in your life? That is what your foundation is, and it needs to be God. And the reason for that is because God doesn't change. He's the only thing that doesn't change. People will fail you. Relationships will fail you. They're not perfect. Money, whatever it is that you look to for joy and to fill you up whenever you're having a bad time, that's kind of what your foundation is. And it has to be God. You always need to go to God. And uh, my prayer for my kids always is that they will turn to God and not away from Him. I pray that for them every day, that my kids will turn to God and not turn away from Him. Because I know they're going to have hard times. I, I know that. And I just pray that that's, that's who they'll turn to, that he will be their foundation. Um, the Bible says that God is our rock and our refuge and our fortress. And, you know, in my life, God, it's kind of weird to say, but God has actually never failed me. Not once. He's never failed me. Yes, I've had hard times. I've had my heart broken. You know, I've, it's not all, you know, I've had a good life, but it's not been that easy. But I can look back, even though there are things that happen that I don't understand, that I wish hadn't happened in some ways, God never failed me. Never. And he, won't, he will never fail you. Um, you know, I think sometimes we see life, it's like we're trying, to, it would be like uh, someone who's legally blind or, you know, has really bad eyes telling Picasso how to paint a picture. Or someone who's tone deaf telling Mozart how to compose a sonata. Because you can't see everything. You don't know everything. But God does, and you can trust him. And he needs to be the thing that you depend on more than anything else. And there's a verse in the Bible, I don't think, I don't have it on the screen, but it's in Luke, and it says that if you come to God and you listen to him, you're like a person who, who builds their house on a rock. It will not be shaken, no matter what happens. No matter what storms come to you, you will be solid. You will stand. When the storm leaves, you're still going to be standing. But if you build your house on anything else, and they say sand, you're going to fall down when the bad times come. So it's important to evaluate yourself. Think about, you know, what am I depending on? And another reason for that is because our lives, the Bible says, are like a mist that appears. It says, why do you, do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's kind of depressing, um, but it's true. I, I like to walk, it's kind of weird, but in cemeteries. There's a cemetery not too far from where I live now, and it's quiet. There's not a lot of people, and it's huge, lots of big trees. And another place I lived in Murray, there was a cemetery that I used to walk in. And one reason I kind of like it, I just I like to read the headstones, and I like to see how long someone lived, you know, the husband and the wife. And the kids, how many kids they had. And that's just interesting to me. And it makes me think, these people are gone now. And all they are is a maybe a memory. They might not even be a memory in someone's mind anymore. They're, your life, is, it just reminds me how temporary my life is. It, it, right now, we don't feel like that. We feel, you know, we're in the prime of our lives, and we feel that we've got all the time in the world. But we don't. It's fast. And people are temporary. Things are temporary. And God is the only thing that we can trust in that's not, not temporary. Okay, another reason that I think God should be your one thing is because he gives you your heart's desires. And this is one of my favorite verses. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's Psalms 37.4. And that doesn't mean he gives you everything you want. 
It's not like, I don't give my kids everything they want. You know, you, can, you can't do that. That's not being a good dad. Um, but nobody can do you like Jesus can. He, there are things that you desire that you don't even know you desire. Things you need you don't even know you need. And he knows that. And he knows what's best for you. And he, if you delight yourself in him, if you get close to God and you spend time with him and you listen to him and you do what he says, he will bring about the desires of your heart in this life, whatever, whatever that may be. Um, I, you know, I think last time I talked about how H and I got together, and, you know, I, I, had, I used to have a list of uh, what I wanted in a husband, and I wish I still had that list, but I think I thought it was stupid later and got rid of it. And the only two things I remember where he had, this is so dumb, I'm embarrassed to say this, but one thing was calloused hands, because I want him to be a hard worker, probably a farmer, like my dad, and um, he had to drive a stick shift. Because you're not a man if you can't drive a stick shift, in my opinion. I don't know why. But, and some of the rest of the list, but honestly, H is not the kind of guy I thought I would marry. I thought I'd marry a farmer um, or, you know, something like that. Because the men in my family, my dad has three brothers. They farm. They're the tough kind. And he, you know, they, they don't talk about their feelings, whatever. H talks about his feelings all the time. <laughs> Which is good. It's good. He's in touch with his inner self, okay? And he does have calloused hands from playing golf, but that's all right. <laughs> and he can drive a stick shift. But he is what I needed. I have no doubt that, you know, if, I, if you had told me, and he used to have a mullet, long hair, and listen, you know, I, oh my gosh, that's totally off my radar. You know, long hair, no, 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 no. But that's, he's, I just, I mean, I couldn't, he is exactly what I needed. And I didn't know that back then, but God gave me the desire of my heart. Even though it's not what I thought I wanted, it's definitely what I, I mean, we have a great marriage, he's the best man I know, and, you know, that's, that's just how God works. And, like, him, him being a pastor, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't something he knew that he wanted. But I think it's, it, is, it was a desire deep down in him to be a leader and to teach, you know, and to do the things that he's doing now, and to help people, to help people know God. And, that, you know, God brought that desire about. And it's not something that he went after himself, but God did it. Because he, you know, he made effort to stay close to God, and then here he is. And, I'm, again, I'm not saying everything's easy and you just get what you want. Sometimes you have to wait years and years and years. But God will take care of you. He'll give you what you need. But you have to stay close to him, and you have to put your your trust in him. The next one is, we can't do it alone. Um, part of us having the freedom to choose whether we want God or not is that, you know, and God gives us abilities. And a lot of people, you know, they're very capable on their own. And it's easy to think you don't need anything else. You're doing fine by yourself. Um, it's independence. It's pride, you know, to think that you can figure things out in life. Um, and but when things get rough, that's when you decide, well, maybe I do need something bigger than myself. Either that or you usually get bitter and your heart gets hard and you turn away from God. But I, like, I, uh, I remember a time in my life, I was probably 23 or 24, I wasn't, H and I weren't dating yet, and I was uh, working at Murray State, I was teaching like four classes, I was a full-time grad student, plus I was taking another undergrad class in Spanish because I had to get my foreign language in and I was cleaning a house on the weekends I worked at a computer lab 
one night a week, and something else. So I was like, I mean, so, so busy. And I was, I just was doing, I know it's kind of weird to explain, but I was doing it all myself. I took on all that myself. And I went to church one Sunday there in Murray, and there was an altar call about something. I don't even know what it was, and I don't know why I went forward. And I just cried and cried. I just felt like this weight was just being lifted from my shoulders. It, and I'd never thought about it before then, but I had been trying to do all of that in my own strength. I'd been carrying all that myself. And it was, it's too much. I just, you'll crack if you just keep going on in life like that. And some of you are probably the same. You're super busy, you're stressed, and you can't do it by yourself. You can't, I mean, for a little while you can, maybe even for a long while, but eventually it's going to hit you, and you're going you're gonna to realize, man, I need, I need something. And I hope that that happens sooner than later, because, you know, being independent, and it's kind of the American way, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps or whatever, you know, and that's kind of the way I gravitate, I gravitate towards that. I like doing things myself. I don't like help. I don't even like people helping me carry stuff. I'd rather just do it myself. And if you're like that, you need, again, self-reflection. You need to think about that, and I need God to help me. He'll help you with your job. He'll help you with your classes. He'll help you with your, your relationships. He, will, he doesn't want you to carry those burdens around. You weren't designed to carry the burdens around, and God can take that from you. But you got to get close to him, and you got to let him do it. And then the last reason um, is because God is our helper. The Bible says that God never leaves you, and he never forsakes you. It says he's our ever-present help, ever-present help in time of need. And the word forsake, I wasn't exactly sure what it meant. I looked it up. It means he won't renounce you. He won't turn his back on you. He won't quit on you. God doesn't quit on people. And He's our, I mean, just in everyday things. Sometimes I'll be, you know, God, help me get a good parking spot. And I feel like he helps me get a good parking spot. Not every time, but lots of times. I remember when I used to get ready, when I used to have to work, and it was always a big deal for me to decide what to wear. And sometimes I'd be almost late because I tried on six different things. So sometimes I'd be like, God, help me decide what to wear. And he helped. I mean, a lot of times he would help me decide what to wear. I know that's kind of strange. But he wants to help in the little things, and he wants to help in the big things. And... I remember I was 19, and I had dated this guy for like six months and broke up with him. I'll talk more about that later. And uh, I, was, and I, I was just brokenhearted. Even though I had broken up with him, I was just devastated. And I remember I went to Walmart with my parents, and uh, my dad wanted to buy cool water cologne, which is the kind heat my boyfriend had worn. And I cried and cried in Walmart because I did not want my dad to smell like my boyfriend had. I didn't want to be reminded. And my dad, he's like, that's ridiculous. And he bought it anyway, which is good. He should have. But that's, I was just, you know, brokenhearted teenager, not a good combination. Anyway, I went to my home church there in my town in Illinois. And the pastor there had no idea what was going on. And he came up to me and said, he said, I just feel like God wants you to know you're like a, a broken puzzle. You're, you're just in a lot of pieces. And he said, if you just keep doing what you're doing, what you know is right, because I knew it was right to break up with the guy. He said, God's going to put the pieces back together and everything's going to be fine. And that just, you know, that was God telling me, even though you made a mistake, you went out with this guy when you shouldn't have, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. And that's what I mean by God not failing me. Even though I shouldn't have done that, he was still there, and he still helped me. And he, Most of the time he just says, it's okay. It's all right. I'm still here. Just keep going, and I'm with you. And that's what we need to hear a lot of times. Another time, 
um, he helped me. This is just a small example. I was driving in the road um, late at night, and it was on this flat, long road that a lot of people go really fast on. And uh, I just, there was no other cars around, and I felt like God told me to slow. I was probably going 60, 65. Speed limit was probably 55, and God told me to slow down. So I slowed down to like 30, and like a mile up the road, a whole bunch of deer were in the middle of the road, and I probably wouldn't have seen them. And just stuff like that. I mean, once you spend time with God, you learn to hear his voice. He'll help you, even with, you know, deer in the road. And I, after I had my um, second miscarriage, which I talked about in my last, last time I spoke, I went to church that Sunday. It was a few days after it had happened. This is in Murray. And uh, the bull, the church, they have a church bulletin, and on the front of it was the verse from Psalm 23, He restores my soul. And of course, I was already emotional, so as soon as I saw that verse and I you know, sat down, I was just like, but I just even felt like that was God telling me, it's okay. You know, even though you just went through this terrible thing, I'm, I'm restoring you. And he did. That Sunday morning, the pastor talked about Rosa Parks on the bus when she said, I'm not going to move. And to me, that was God saying, because God had told me, and I believed I was going to have another kid. And it had been a few years, and I'd been trying, and I finally got pregnant, and then I had the miscarriage like four or five weeks later. And that felt like the pastor telling that story was God saying, don't move. He said, I'm still going to give you another baby. And after that, it just, he did, it restored me. It made me think, it's okay. You know, God's not mad at me. I'm, I'm going to make it. And then a few months later, I got pregnant and had my, had my daughter. So that's what God does. He is your helper. And once you, when, the more you know him, the more you spend time with him, the more you'll see that. Um, so how, you know, how do you, what does it mean, put God first, you know, get close to God? And a lot of what HL's been talking about goes along with that. Um, but I think, you know, it starts with the decision. The human will is so powerful. When you decide to do something, I mean, it is just a very powerful thing. And um, so you have to, God is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on people. God never makes you believe in him. Or he never, you know, goes, you just, you have to do this, you have to do that. He is very gentle. God is, I mean, he is he will let you decide, and it's up to you. So I think you have to make the decision. And there's a book, um, well, one of the Little House on the Prairie books. It's called The Long Winter. And Paul and Laura are outside somewhere, and they see some, um, some uh, muskrats, that's what these are, building their house. And they're building the walls really, really thick. And thicker than normal. And Laura was like, why are they building their walls so thick? And Paul, they made Paul say, I don't even like saying the word Paul, but... Her father <laughs> said that it's probably going to be a bad winter. They know when the weather's going to be bad. And she's like, how do they know that? And he said, that's just the way God made the animals. They, they just, they have instincts. God gave animal instincts, and they know what to do. And I think, and, he, and then he went on to say, and humans can do what they want to do. So, you know, a possum can't be a lion. You put a possum in the jungle, he's never going to be the king, okay? And a lion is, you know, they're, they're just created for different things. They... They do different things, but people have a, a will, and we're free, and we can do what we want. We can say no to God, or we can say yes to God. It's totally up to us. No one makes us do anything, and it's very important. I think the first step, of course, is you just have to decide. And then, while well, the stuff that H has been talking about, celebrate some discipline, you know, like the prayer, the fasting, the solitude, the silence, stuff that he's still going to talk about. That stuff is so good. That book is so good. 
And it makes room for God. That's what it does. You don't have to fast to know God. You don't have to pray for an hour every day. These aren't things you, rules that you have to do, but it opens your mind, opens your heart. It makes room for God in your life. It's showing Him that you want Him. And so the disciplines, again, I'm not going to repeat them all, but they're very, very important. And then you've got to do what He says. Um, if He tells you to do something, you've got to do it. I, whenever um, I told you that guy I dated when I was 19, I shouldn't have. We were at this, this carnival, and he was, I was, we had just been talking with a group of friends, and he had asked me out a few times. I knew at that point in my life, I decided I didn't want to date until I found the guy, found the guy I was going to marry. And so I knew that he was not the guy for me. But he, anyway, he asked me to ride the Ferris wheel with him, and I said no. And then I was going home, and then I, I decided, you know, I think I will ride the Ferris wheel with him. And I was walking back, and I knew God told me, turn around and go home. You don't need to ride the Ferris wheel with him. But I did it anyway. I kept going, dated him six months. His family thought we'd get married. It was just, it was a terrible, terrible thing. I knew the whole time I wasn't supposed to be with this guy. And I ended up breaking his heart, breaking my heart. I didn't listen to God. I could have avoided all that if I just listened to him. Um, another, then recently I was, I was crying, feeling sorry for myself about something that had happened in my life. I mean, really crying. And I felt like God told me, stop feeling sorry for yourself. I just stopped and I thought, hmm, that's exactly what I'm doing. And, so I, and then the whole situation turned around. I saw it in a whole different way just because he told me, stop feeling sorry for yourself. So when he tells you to do something, if you do it, even though it might be hard, it might be giving up a habit that you have, it might be giving away something, it might be switching jobs, it might be something really small like getting up earlier in the morning. But when he tells you to do it, I advise you to do it because it's going to help you. And if you mess up, you know, in James 4.8, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And God, God doesn't step away from you, you step away from God. And all you've got to do is step right back and he's still there. When you mess up, a lot of times we feel like, there's a distance between us and God. You put that distance there. He didn't. Okay, So just go back to him. Even if you make a mistake, he's still with you. And then two more. Keep on keeping on. Um, this is something we have to do continually. This verse says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. So, you know, you can't just decide once or, you know, spend a little time with God and all of a sudden everything's... Peachy, you know, you have to keep doing it your whole life, and it's work. It takes effort. It, to me, you know, it, it's enjoyable. It should be enjoyable. Sometimes it's more enjoyable than others. There's a lot of ups and downs. You go through different seasons in your walk with God, and that's fine. You know, it might be winter. Everything seems cold, and you don't feel God. It might be spring when everything seems new and alive again. That's that's fine. You go through those seasons. You go through the ups and downs. But the point is, you don't quit. You're continually doing it. You keep doing it over and over, and he'll, he'll be there to meet you. So spend time with him. Talk to him. Um, I've been getting up earlier because ever since I had my daughter, like a year and a half ago, I've just been sleeping until she gets up. And if, for me, if I don't first thing in the morning spend time with God, read the Bible, pray, whatever, I don't usually do it. But when it's quiet and I love looking at a tree or something in nature because it just it makes me think more about God, um, but you find your own thing. You know, all the stuff that Aisha's been talking about, spending time with them, reading the Bible. Um, it's, you've got to find what works for you. And it might be at night, might be in the middle of the day. Might, I, I think first thing in the morning is awesome um, because it's before your mind. You get all stressed out about stuff. It's hard to stop 
after that. But I just encourage you to make time, 10 minutes a day, you know, however, whatever works for you, to spend time with God. Um, and along with that, spend time with people who spend time with Him. If most of your time is spent with people who really don't care a lot about God or Jesus or anything like that, then it's not like, you know, that's, that's going to bring you down. It's fine. Spend time with those people. But if most of your time is spent with those people, it's not very healthy spiritually. Spend time with people who are going to bring you up, who are going to motivate you to be more, to be closer to God. And then the last one is um, just do it. And, you know, King David in the Bible, um, if you've, in, you know, his stories in the Old Testament, I don't even remember book it's in right now. But he wrote a lot of the Psalms, and he, the Bible, God says that he was a man after God's own heart. And he had it rough. He went through a lot of stuff. I mean, he was chased through the desert by this king who wanted to kill him, and he didn't even do anything wrong. For years, he was chased and fearing for his life. And a lot of the Psalms that he wrote was during that time period. Um, I mean, he killed somebody. He murdered someone. But God still said, he's a man after my own heart. Because even though he killed someone, you can do something that bad, and God still loves you when you come back to him. He still welcomes you. So the Psalm 63 is one of my favorite psalms. Um, I encourage you guys to read it this week. It says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And then it goes on, I think of you in the, you know, the middle of the night, I'm thinking about you, God. That's a man who loved God and who was after God. And it's a great psalm. Um, and then this verse I absolutely love, and this is what I'm going to finish with. Um, it says, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. And you might think, you know, why, what is, why doesn't God go after me instead of me going after God? He is. He is going after you. That might be why you're here. He's done everything He can do to reach you. And the rest is up to you. It's your decision. And it's, it's easy, you know, it's easy to turn to Him. You, might, you know, it's in, in some ways it's, it does take effort, but it's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Just, just to give God more, more of yourself than what we all need. Not just, you know, I'm not just talking to you guys, I'm talking to myself. I can always do more. I can always have more of God. Give him more of myself. And I just encourage you guys, this verse, seek my face, and I said, your face, Lord, I will seek. I will. I will. When you say I will, that's just, that's what it takes, is making that decision.